Hey, welcome to the Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy joy that was set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Thank you. Thanks, Em. Thanks, Murray. Oh, it's half time. Is that right? We're going to be out of here in 20 minutes. Well, not quite, but it is half time, isn't it? When you think about the calendar. It's mid-school holidays. You wouldn't guess, would you, by the collection here today. There's a few empty seats of people away having well-deserved breaks, which they well deserve, because that's the value of half-time breaks, isn't it? Someone's a chance to stop, to refresh, just to catch your breath. And I know for some in the congregation, particularly those involved in education, this is an important time. And we're nearly, well, we're not halfway through winter, but it does feel like we're starting to see It's the beginning of the end of winter, if I say it that way. So it's kind of a a good time where we are at the moment of just pausing and stopping and saying to ourselves, okay. And so I think about that today, I thought, hey, the good thing about half times, even in sport, is there's a chance to recalibrate. Often you see that happen. The team's under pressure half time. They go into the sheds, they come back out, whatever the coach said to them or fed them or shot them up with, I don't know. But they came out and they just changed. They just sort of hit their mark and it made an enormous difference in the game. And there is a sense then of the value for all of us to try and grab moments of just pausing and saying, okay. Here's a moment for me to stop and reflect. And that's what drew me to this passage uh, that, we, that we've read this morning and that we've heard not so long ago when, uh, when Mitch took us through the series of uh, the highlights from the book of Hebrews. Called Hebrews because it's actually written to Jewish Christians. There's a sense of that's who they were. And, and so Paul, or rather the writer of Hebrews, I nearly slipped up then, a lot of people think it was Paul, Paul didn't, probably didn't write it because Paul and all of his other correspondence letters identifies himself in it. And that's one reason why there's a sense it's very similar to the Pauline literature, but it's, he doesn't declare. The author never declares who the author is in this particular letter in the New Testament. So we turn to this passage then in Hebrews chapter 12, and it begins with this, therefore, well, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, it's often a, a kind of a statement that something's come before. And of course, what's come before chapter 11, even though it was not there and it was originally written, chapter 11, what we call chapter 11. And so in chapter 11, we've got this whole list of names of people that are coming up on the board now. And in a sense that the aim of this is to say, we need to learn from the experience of others. 
And so the writer of the Hebrews in chapter 11 has gone through this list of the heroes of the Jewish community. The, the, these people who were, we know well from the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, and, and the things that they did. And I don't intend this morning to unpackage all of that at all. I just want you reminded, here's the list of them as it comes up on the screen. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, hey, I've shared with you the story. You know the stories. These are a part of our history. These are part of our own personal journeys. You know about these men and women. Well, I'm reminding you about that to say, therefore, because we have this cloud of witnesses, this group of people who've gone before us, this wonderful history of people who are faithful to God, therefore... Therefore, that should encourage you. So I think one of the principles for me about taking time out, of persevering, of saying, how do I keep on keeping on, is to remind myself, who are the people who are my examples? Who are the people who, who I look and see and recognise them? Because these are people, here's the key to it, the witnesses are not witnesses to what we're doing. In fact, this screen that will come up now, I, I think one of the problems when we talk, think about this cloud of witnesses, we're inclined to think it's, well, it's like here on Monday and Wednesday night, behind the black curtains, there was this crowd of people, over 400 people, and they were here cheering on, rallying for their team, either the Solomons or Australia, and there were some Australians who were badly conflicted in deciding who they were actually going to barrack for. But it was really exciting. But that's not the cloud of witness, because see, what those people, they're, they're watching. They're cheering. Sometimes they're very critical as well. They weren't happy with some of the referees' decisions, that's for sure. And there was often some other comments about players. That's not what the writer's talking about. He's not talking about those people who you see and I see are witnesses to us in the sense that they're watching out over us and reminding us our fragility and our failure and our weaknesses. We all have a cloud of those witnesses. They're people in our heads and our life journey who have reminded us and said to us, you can't do that. Who do you think you are? Look at the mess you've made in the past. Now, sadly, sometimes there's voices which have been captured, may, captured maybe in close family, maybe parents' comments about us, or maybe school teachers who said, you're never going to amount to anything. And so we have that cloud of witnesses who say to us as we start to step out and do things, who do you actually think you are? You know your level of failure. You know the things you've done in the past. And, and sometimes as we've read this passage, that's what comes to mind first. This cloud of witnesses, these great people of the Old Testament, they're there saying, oh, you can't do this. Who do you think you are? No, that's not. This is what it ought to be. Here's the extra picture. The next slide shows us this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, it's people at the end of the marathon who've already run the race who are standing there saying to you and to me, come on, come on, come on, you're nearly there. Come on, keep going. Sure, it's a bit of a flat spot, but you can do it. That's what the writer of Hebrews is wanting to emphasise here. We have this cloud of witnesses. If we say to them, how is it that you survived? We see the mess you made of your life because often the records in the Old Testament, <laughs> they, they don't, they don't, pass quickly over the failure of some of those people listed there. And these people say it's because we have discovered the grace of God. Because we have come to the point of discovering quite almost unbelievably that this God, this all creator, cares about me personally, met me in my world, delivered me from my problems, freed me from the things that shackled me. I, mean, I just... 
I'm always overwhelmed as I think about the immensity of the cosmos, the creator of all of that, who then says to you and to me, I love you, I care about you. I, it, it defies me in a way. I don't think there's, there's not a scientific, intellectual way I can grapple with that. There's a sense of here is the wonder of the creator God and the millions and billions of people says you and I. And see, that's what these cloud of witnesses say to us. This was my life experience, they say. Noah, this is my experience. David, this is my experience. And what I say to you is, God loves you. God was with you. God will be there for you. And that's what they, and so that's the cloud of witnesses that we need to be listening to. I wonder who's in that cloud of witnesses for you? Who are the people who you think now about, oh, who are those people who have encouraged me, who inspire me? Let me give you just a couple of examples for me. And they're people, some of us know, Betty Anderson, Dr. Betty Anderson was a member of this church uh, for probably a decade. Betty was, as a young woman, was sitting in a church, she was, she was a nurse in the process of her nursing work, learning to be a nurse. And she was challenging one service when there had been some awful deaths of some missionaries in Bangladesh to say, who's going to fill this, the gaps? And she put her hand up and said, I'll go, I'll fill the gap. And this young nurse goes out to this Muslim community, ministers particularly to Muslim women in their medical needs, and does that for several terms of service. She comes home on furlough on one occasion, but her father's now quite ill, and so she stays back in Australia to care for her parents. Disappointed, yes, but sensing this is what God wanted to do in terms of her responsibility, her sense of her obligation to her parents. In that time, but she maintains her nursing. She becomes a nursing educator. She trains other nurses. Betty Anderson is the first professor of nursing at University of Western Sydney. A remarkable woman. Her love for Jesus maintained her all the way through that in the issues she faced as a single woman in that period of time in both medical history here in Australia, sustains her and maintains her in her level of faith. I just encouraged to know someone like Betty. We were close friends, having served at different times on the Australian Baptist Mission National Council, and just an encourager. A person who, in her own journey of faith, learnt Jesus would sustain her in the midst of all that she faced and did that right to the end. Dave Groves was another good mate. Had the privilege to be involved in his Thanksgiving service just last year. Dave, actually Dave's brother, was, was one of the early secretaries of this church and owned a nursery down on Old Glenhaven Road. Dave was a carpenter. Well, a builder. He's one of the first fellows to go through university to get a building degree. And Dave matched his building expertise with his love of God as a young man went to, went to New Guinea to help build houses for the staff who'd gone up there after the Second World War when the early chaplains said, hey, there's a heaps of people here in Papua New Guinea who've never heard of Jesus. And so Dave was a part of that contingent that went to do that. Came back to Australia, did his theological education, Marilyn and I met him when we went to Indonesia. Dave, by that stage, was both a lecturer in the theological college in the morning and then the afternoon he got back out with his nail bag and he built the building that the lectures were being held in. Tremendous energy. Continued then into community development and David eventually was become the CEO 
a Baptist, a Baptist World, Baptist Care Australia. It's changed his name a few times. I'm sorry, I've got to think what it is now. But he, uh, Dave, was just an encourager in that way. For Marilyn, we would say, in some ways, what sustained us in our early journey of deciding to go to Indonesia was Dave and Alison, their wife. These are people who would say to you, you can trust Jesus. They weren't perfect people, hardly. But they were people who'd come to understand who Jesus was for them. Well, I've talked long enough about my couple, but who would you say? Who are the people for you who are this cloud of witnesses, who are cheering you on, saying, yeah, you can do it, keep going? And can I say, who are we cheering on? Who are the people who are perhaps behind us in the race, who are still coming? And while we haven't finished our race yet, who are we cheering on in, our, in that journey for us? So the cloud of witnesses. The second principle, I think, that comes out is the principle of keeping fit. So what does uh, the writer say? He says, throw, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. Let's throw off everything that hinders. <laughs> Look at this picture. I asked Andy G to find me a picture of a bloke carrying a weight. Well, she did very well, didn't she? Although it does remind me as a Boy Scout, with a heavy pack on, going on a three-day walk, going down Govitz in the Blue Mountains, and <laughs> it was too heavy. I tripped over, I carried, the, we continued the walk, but I had two whopping great black eyes from hitting the ground under that weight. Because that's what weight can do to you, can't it? That's what weight can do. It can, it can just get overbearing. It wears you down. These, uh, the writer of Hebrews is actually reflecting, these are really athletic sporting kind of terms he's talking about. He's talking about a race. He's talking about the weights to get off. You remember Mitch when he preached on this passage? He had his running weights on and he was telling how heavy they were. It's that. Get rid of the weights, the writer says. So what are the weights? What are the things that wear us down? What are the things that we are carrying? Well, <laughs> I'll never forget Di Wellings. Di was a, a young mother in, uh, in the Guildford area where we were pastoring that stage and she had been impacted by Jenny, Jenny Fluke, who lived across the road from her, who was a delightful Christian, gone through a hard time, lost her husband and her grieving, but loved Jesus through all of that. And Di was influenced by Jenny to the point where Di came to me one day and said, Keith, I want to I wanna become a Christian. I'm like, well, that's wonderful. So we sat down and we talked about what they meant for her and then we got to a point where I said, well, look, here's a very simple prayer. I want you to take this home, have a think about it, and I'll meet up with you again tomorrow. She said, no, 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 I'm going to do it right now. And so right there and then she prayed that prayer. At the end of it, I said to Di, Di, how did you feel? What's happening for you? She said, oh, Keith, there's this enormous weight has now been lifted off my shoulders. I felt like I had this haversack on my back and I don't have it anymore. That was her sense of failure. That was her sense of, not just the sense of, oh, I make these mistakes, but that deeper sense of, I know I'm not in a right relationship with God. I know he's there. I know he's a part of my world, but I've, I've resisted for so long. And I just now realise the freedom that he brings as I, as I see that, that old lifestyle disappear. A great crowd of witnesses, get rid of the weight, get rid of the weight. And the second thing he says is, oh, well, let me turn to another passage before I do that, but uh, here's this great passage from me which has been just uh, so powerfully important in the midst of this in Matthew 11, 28 to 29. 
Come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Yes. Mike Robinson, pastor of our church here, in the period after I'd finished my ministry and gone elsewhere, Mike wrote to me and sent me that text, understanding some of the stuff we were going through at that stage in that organisation. Keith, I want you to remember this, Mike says. Here's Jesus for you, sharing the load. Talk about heroes of faith. I pulled out Mike and Bev's book. <laughs> you know, it's incredible, really. Mike uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and Bev, the nurse, said, well, that's good, I'll be able to take care of him and he a few years later is diagnosed with motor neurone disease. And many of us in the life of the church who've been here for all know this story. But what strikes me about this couple is just their continued faith in Jesus under pressure of what they were going through. Bev, of course, finally dies with motor neurone disease and Mike, more recently, with Parkinson. Keith, you can trust Jesus. Keith, Jesus can carry your load with you. <laughs> Just the last couple of days, I've been up in the Hunter Valley with Tim and Belinda and my grandsons, and there's some very big logs there that have been cut down and we were having to move them. And I'm very grateful for grandsons who are getting stronger and taller than me, because it really helps share the load. Um, they're carrying more of the load than I am now, but it's sharing. And that's what Jesus says to us. You don't have to carry this stuff any longer. Junk it. <laughs> Junk it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Come to me. I'll, I'll journey with you. And many of us in this room will say, absolutely right. Absolutely right. Thank you, Lord, for the stuff I've shared with you and you've said here. Let me take that for you. Let me share the load. The second thing the writer of Hebrews says in this getting fit is not just get rid of the weight, but also get rid of the stuff that tangles your feet. Get rid of the stuff that entangles, the stuff that, that hinders. You know, it's interesting that sense of, um, I hate weeding. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a happy gardener away because it's a bit of a quiet space. But weeds, man, it's just endless, isn't it? endless and what I've learned is if I don't get them early it's going to be much harder later isn't it much harder later and there's some graphic illustrations in nature of that this is a, a stringler fig and and there's a host tree underneath there but in time that host tree will just wither and die because of that strangler fig which is using the host to get up to the sunlight in a tropical rainforest you know, if someone had to pull that fig out much earlier, that host tree would still be going much better than it is now. We've got to keep weeding. We've got to keep weeding. All of us here respect we're on this journey of life and our faith and following Jesus. This stuff's going to keep sprouting up. Some of it's historical. You know how some of those rotten weeds, if you don't like onion weed, if you don't really get it right out of the bottom, you clean it out for a while, but it's up again. Well, that's what we've got to keep doing. There are some bits of our character that in some way are not going to finally be changed this side of when we meet Jesus. None of us are going to be perfect, so we're always going to have to keep weeding. Sadly, for some of us, 
we stopped weeding. Had a good mate, Dave Flood, when we were teaching in Narandra. Came to faith, lovely expression of journey of faith with his wife, and Dave had a temper. And it's sad to me when I share the story. He had a temper, which he kept fairly well under control a fair bit of time. I did a lot of stuff with Dave. He was working for telecom when I was teaching. We were part of this small sort of um, Bible study church group. But Dave's anger at times just was uncontrollable. I never saw it physically, but I saw the effects in his house. We punched a wall out. And Dave, in spite of encouragement and suggestions and putting in place where he'd get some help, he never dealt with the core of his anger. And you would guess, as many of us would, that over time the marriage didn't survive. And, and there's a horrible sadness about that, isn't there? That this, this thing that entangled him <laughs> robbed him of his family. And here's the challenge for you and for me. Let, let's, let's ask ourselves again, okay, I know what the loads are. Okay, what, what's the stuff that's actually tangling me up? What's the stuff I'm doing which I know is not helpful for me, but it's almost like it's got me? What's the addiction? What's the behaviour? What's the attitude that I'm involved in that I need to give up? So if I'm going to stay fit, I need to get rid of the stuff that's weighing me down. I need to clear out the stuff that's potentially trapping me. And then finally and thirdly, we have to sharpen our focus. Sharpening our focus. A lot of us enjoy watching football. And this next slide gives us a sense of someone who's sharpening. Have you noticed what they do these days? I didn't notice it when I was playing, mind you. I wasn't a goal kicker. I have a grandson in the room tonight, today who's a very good goal kicker. What I've noticed about these goal kickers is that the time they take, hey, it's inordinate, isn't it? They put the ball down and then they stare and stare and stare and it's like the trick to the But you see, that's what the sports psychologists told them to do. Actually, I think the writer of the Hebrews was a sports psychologist. To be honest with the stuff that's here, here's a coaching manual for anyone who's helping people. You see, it's a sense of I want to focus my vision. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, premeditating almost what's going to happen here. And it's not just true in football, is it? Golfers are the same. How many times I stood on a tee and imagined that a hole in one only for the ball to go that way, you know. But see, that's what the writer of the Hebrews is saying here. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Here's the thing to do. Now, we've sung some of it this morning. Thank you, worship team. As we sang through the Apostles' Creed, I'm reminded again of just how good that is to do, to remind us. Because there's so many other things that rob us of our focus. Little Mary was probably 14 by the time I was teaching her. And... She was in what in those era, I don't know what we called it now, but in those years called the general activities class. Okay, that was the class where kids got dumped who were just not making it. This was in rural New South Wales in the Riverina. So a fair proportion of that class were First Nation kids, kids out of the local Aboriginal community because of the interruption they'd had in public education and public education didn't work for them anyway. And so it just reinforced the, their disadvantage, sadly. This little girl wasn't in that group, but she was out of a fairly poor home. In year eight, we had a medical service come through the school, government-sponsored, doing tests of the kids. They tested her eyes. She could not see the board because of just her eye condition. She'd never been tested. She'd been in public education for what, for that six, eight years? 
This poor girl was in this class, not because she had any intellectual difficulty, she was in the class because she hadn't been able to learn because she couldn't read. And of course, in those days, blackboards and white chalk, that was the key education technology of my era, and she just couldn't see the board. She got glasses. She could now see. She had vision. But as I think about it, I think how tragic. She had lost eight years of public education. Was she ever going to get that back? What, what career opportunities were smashed for her? Well, the writer of the Hebrews here is actually more talking about that sense of part, like this, where I've got to so concentrate that I block out the noises. I mean, some of our cricketers in these last few days have had to try and block out the noises, haven't they, from the Barmy Army. It can't be easy, but you've got to stay focused. So for you and for me, here's the challenge. What are the things that are causing me to drift away from Jesus? What are the things... Some months ago, Murray preached here, and he talked about the apps we have and some of the apps that we need to get off our phones. Thanks, Murray, because I went home that day and cleared out a few apps because there weren't apps that were helping me spiritually. They weren't happening to me, in a, in a sense, as a, as a helpful person. You know the problem these days with our electronic implements. You, you press something and suddenly you find something. Where did that, how did I get there? I need to get out of here real quick because it's not a good place to be. And so the challenge, again, for, for you and for me is, as I say, focused on Jesus, what, what's robbing me, maybe? What do I need to reset? What do I need to rethink? As I finish, let me just offer you this. One of the things I found important for me personally is just staying regular discipline. That's just good sports psychology as well. But regular staying close to having something that reminds me of Jesus I find this, if this slide, it's not new. A few of us have talked about it from up here. But in 50 years of following Jesus, the last few years, this has been a, been a revolution for me in a way. It causes me to be meditative. And I'm not that sort of a person. I'm an activist. This causes me to do that. Every day it brings me a psalm to read and a New Testament scripture to reflect on. It gives me pauses in that available freely anywhere and that's the nice thing it is free and friends if you're not doing something that helps you stay focused on Jesus if you haven't already got a methodology that's a part of your character your practice can I suggest give this a run and if this doesn't work find something that makes you because we are so easily distracted by the world we're a part of aren't we there's so much gets thrown at us that the challenge for you and for me is to stay focused on Jesus let me complete this this morning with this final word from another hero of the faith, written from his prison cell to the believers in Philippi. This is Paul writing. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which, come, which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings and become like him in his death. I want to know Christ. Or another place says, for me to live is Christ. That's, that's the vision. That's the sustaining. As we reflect mid-term, half-time, quarter-time for some of us, three-quarter-time for others of us, 
Here's a chance. Yes, Jesus for me. As the team come up, let me pray for us. Father, we pause to thank you again for your graciousness to us, the way you meet us right where we are, with all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our senses of not being able, insecurities. Father, thank you. Thank you that you don't dismiss us, you don't disqualify us, but you warmly, warmly, warmly embrace us and you speak into our worlds. And we thank you for that work of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us again today with gentleness and yet with clarity, challenging, encouraging. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us, that you walked the way you walked. You went your course for our sakes. And thank you, Lord Jesus, now that you're there at the finish line encouraging us as we continue our journey. Lord, for some of us, it's just a beginning. You know that. Even today, just a beginning. But for others, it's been a longer journey. But we thank you that there you are, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.